This is episode number 75 with Marianne Williamson. The Melissa Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Marianne Williamson is an internationally acclaimed author and lecturer. And for the last 35 years, she has been one of America's most well-known public voices, having been featured on popular shows such as Oprah, Larry King Live, Good Morning America, and Bill Mayer. Now, she has published 12 books and seven of her books have been New York Times bestsellers and four of them were number one. How awesome is that? The mega bestseller, A Return to Love, is considered a must read of the new spirituality. Now, Marianne also founded Project Angel Food, a Meals on Wheels program that serves homebound people with AIDS in the Los Angeles area. Now, to date, Project Angel Food has served over 11 million meals, and she is also the co-founder of the Peace Alliance. Now, I first discovered Marianne many years ago when I picked up A Return to Love. It was one of the first personal development or spiritual books that I ever read, and it changed my life. And if you guys haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It is life-changing, which is why I am so excited for you guys to hear today's episode, because in today's chat, We talk about why Marianne doesn't consider herself a spiritual teacher or guru, how Marianne discovered a course in miracles and how it changed her life, why miracles are part of life and occurring all around us every single day, common signs that we're off our true path and how to get back onto our true path how to step out of darkness and return back to love, even when it sometimes feels so challenging, why sadness and fear are part of life and how to move through them, how to attain inner peace, contentment and fulfillment, how to consciously parent and how to teach our children about spiritual principles, plus so much more. And for everything that Marianne and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 75. And without further ado, let's bring on the one and only Marianne Williamson. Welcome, Marianne. I am so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I had coffee and I don't think I had anything else. Sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. Now, tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Like, did you know as a little girl that you would be shining the light as a spiritual teacher for so many people around the world? I don't think of myself as that way now. You know, in the East, 
called. I always say that a guru never calls himself or herself a guru. If I thought of myself that way, then to whatever extent it's true, it probably would not be true. In A Course in Miracles, it says that we're all teachers and we're all students. And I know that I work on practicing what I preach, sometimes more successfully than others. And in that sense, I don't see myself as any different than anyone else's on a spiritual path. I think that spiritual grandiosity is one of the pitfalls on the journey. Uh, you know, as the Course in Miracles says, all of the children of God are special and none of the children of God are special. So I don't hold thought forms like I'm a spiritual teacher to millions. I mean, I'm not being coy here. I know how privileged and blessed I am that my books have sold. I think of myself as being the blessed and privileged one, not the dispenser of really anything. You know, in The Course in Miracles, the image is sort of imagine a house that is wired for electricity and each of us are lamps. And it doesn't matter the size of the lamp or the shape of the lamp, color of the lamp, the design of the lamp, the age of the lamp. What matters is the lamp is plugged in. And I realize that I work hard to plug in. I try to walk the path I articulate, but so do a lot of people. And the fact that the form of my ministry has to do with books and talks doesn't mean that the work is any more or less important than anyone else's whose love is making a difference on the planet. Yeah, I love that. So how did you come across A Course in Miracles? What was your first encounter with that text? I was in my 20s and I had moved from San Francisco to New York with a boyfriend and we were at a party. And I saw the book on someone's coffee table and I started just leafing through it. And the Christian language was a little intimidating and off-putting to me. But I was very intrigued by the introduction, particularly the fact that it said that this was a required course and that it had no title and it had no author mentioned on the front of the book. So I didn't forget it. And then a year later, I came back. I'd been thinking about it that day. And I came back to my apartment and the books were sitting on my dining room table. And I looked up in shock at my boyfriend and he said, I thought it was time. We hadn't even talked about it that whole year. And he had seen them at a bookstore and had picked them up. A lot of people have stories like that, interesting stories, including how many people like myself encountered The Course in Miracles before they started doing The Course in Miracles. A lot of people will say they were sitting next to my bed uh, for a year before I actually started doing it. A lot of people have their story, you know, of how The Course first came into their life. And something I love about you is, and I've seen you talk in LA, is how authentic you are in sharing that you are still on this path and you are navigating your way through it. So in those darker moments, how do you make sure your light is back on or how do you get back on your path when things pop up for you on a day-to-day basis? The principles and the course are very clear. And for anyone who doesn't know, the course doesn't claim to have any monopoly on truth. It's one of many, many paths. It's no doctrine or dogma, but it's based on universal spiritual themes that is that are at the heart of all the great religious and spiritual teaching. When you're off the path, and the Course in Miracles says you know that you're off because you're not at peace, then there are two issues. One is to atone for your own mistakes. The second is to forgive other people for theirs. So you kind of go through a checklist. Where do I know I was wrong and I need to atone for my mistake? 
in which case the atonement becomes like a kind of cosmic reset button and the consequences of your error will be undone and you will be given another opportunity, but it might not be immediately, but you can have peace immediately from having atoned or you are attacking or blaming or judging, criticizing another person, at least in your thinking. That means you're off the path because anything, either of those two things represent a lack of love, which is what it means to be off the path. Or you are carrying the present into it, carrying the past, I mean, into the present when the past doesn't exist except in your mind. Or you are focusing on the future rather than being present in the present. And the only way to, to really program the future for the highest possibility is to be present in the present. So, you know, as a student of the Course, and I think this is true of any serious spiritual path, you learn the principles and then you try to apply them. You know, the principles themselves are not difficult. What's difficult is getting over our resistance to applying them. The mm. truth is very simple. It's life that's complicated. So recently I had a situation where I made a mistake and I felt a lot of shame around it. And all you can do is atone for the error. And in atoning, and I say all you can do, it's everything. It's, it's applying the power of God. You go back to the moment when you made the mistake and you realize that in that moment you didn't allow God to work through you. You know, I was in a situation where I got very panicked uh, because someone was really being bullying and I had, I was protecting another woman when he asked me something about her and she had asked me not to share that we had spoken and I got very panicked. And so I lied. Now there were dignified ways I could have handled this. I could have said that I wasn't willing to speak about this. There were ways I could have handled it without compromising my own integrity. But I was panicked in that moment. So I made up a story. I mean, it's so silly. It was like the seventh grade, right? And that's very much not like me. I mean, I certainly believe in discretion. You don't owe people to tell them everything, but lying. I mean, it's really not my, not usually a place where my ego has a problem. And it was very difficult for me because yes, I had protected a girlfriend. I felt it was kind of feminist issue, a sister, but at the same time, I lied to a friend and I knew that he was, he, he knew that I was lying. So, and he even made a comment about don't bother to apologize for this. So it, it's not like writing him and saying, I'm sorry, because he's sort of not open to that. But I had to atone in my own heart. I had to take my shame to God. I mean, you know, the elegant ways I could have handled this elegant way. I don't know. I could have gotten off the phone. I probably shouldn't have made the call. I knew why he was probably calling, blah, blah, blah. So in the Course in Miracles, as you go back to the moment, in which you made the mistake and you did not let the, the Holy Spirit decide for you. And in that moment, it's always between fear or love. I got afraid. I was afraid. I was panicked. I was, my experience at the call was kind of bullying and angry. And I, I just went into this survival mode, right? So in the Course in Miracles, it says you go back to that moment and you give it to the Holy Spirit and you say, you realize that you made the wrong decision. You acknowledge that you made the wrong decision and you give it over to the Holy Spirit now. And then it says that the atonement, the power of the atonement is in you and it is from God. And you do not have to feel guilty because the Holy Spirit will undo all consequences of your wrong decision if you will let him. So this is an example. You know, these principles are really very practical. That was a very practical, very practical example a very human experience that left me with anxiety and with shame and with embarrassment. And so you have to look, what happened here? Well, you made a mistake. Go back to that moment and atone for your mistake. The same is true of when your pain is because of somebody else's mistake. 
which has to do with realizing that when we have thoughts of someone's guilt, including mine about that guy that he was being so bullying on the phone, you know, everybody was coming from fear. He was coming from fear. I was coming from fear. And to forgive another person from a Course in Miracles perspective does not mean that you are spiritual and they're a jerk and you forgive them now. It means realizing that behind the veil of everybody's mistakes lies the truth of who we are. We are all innocent. We were created innocent by God. Our eternal innocence is the truth of who we are. But living on this earth, we get confused. We get panicked. We get the wires crossed in our subconscious minds. And at certain moments, for whatever reason, such as the one I just described to you, we don't know in that moment how to express our love and still get our needs met. But we can practice mercy towards ourselves and others. You know, mercy doesn't mean you didn't make a mistake or that they didn't make a mistake. It just means you have some mercy. We all make mistakes. And there's a difference between a sin and an error. You know, people aren't sinful. People just make mistakes. And God doesn't look at us as sinful and he's going to punish us. He looks at us as people who make mistakes and his desire is to heal us and to correct us. And when we look at other people the way God looks at us, everything changes. And then even things that go wrong can be turned into opportunities of growth and healing. So for someone who is maybe sitting in a very dark space right now and they're suffering or they're feeling like they're you know, in this pit of fear, anxiety, guilt, frustration, anger, whatever it is, whatever anyone's feeling, what is the first step? Is the first step handing it over? What's the first step for them to, and maybe they've been sitting in it for years. So what's the first step for them to kind of see a little bit of the light to help them transform this? Course in Miracle says that our lives begin again when we consider the possibility that there might be another way. And that's when we hold we're going through our pain, we're going through our anxiety, we're going through our depression, we're going through our sadness. And the first step is you say, God, help me. You know, if there is a higher power that can do for me what I cannot do for myself, I am willing. And I understand that all of my suffering comes from thinking that is not perceiving the situation correctly. And I am willing to perceive the situation differently. I am willing to see this differently. I'm willing to atone for my mistakes. I'm willing to forgive other people for theirs. I'm willing to stop my judgment, stop my blame. And even when, let's say, you were grieving the loss of a loved one, I'm willing to have my thoughts about death itself corrected. Now, if I realize that the physical body, the death of the physical body is not the end of life, and I'm grieving someone that I love, it doesn't mean I won't cry. It doesn't mean that I won't grieve. But it means that there is a peace in the midst of my sorrow. So I think that sometimes sadness is simply part of the journey of life that we need to stop trying to avoid all the time and to know that sometimes the seasons of life are sorrowful, but we can have peace despite those periods. So the beginning is to invite God, the God of your understanding, into your process. Because that's where God works with us, in the mind. Because if all of our feelings come from our mind, how we're thinking about things, and God and the Holy Spirit, whatever words we use, is a guide to a gentler perception. And that's what a miracle is. A miracle is a shift in our own thinking, a shift in our perception from fear to love. And have you always believed in miracles? Well, I've always believed in God, but it was when I started reading A Course in Miracles that 
the word miracles began to have much meaning for me. I'd never really thought about them one way or the other. When I started reading The Course in Miracles and I read that according to the Course, a miracle is a shift in perception, then everything began to change. Wow. Your book, A Return to Love, was so powerful for me. And I remember reading it and thinking, oh my goodness, like, why haven't I been taught this? Like, why wasn't I taught that there's love or fear in every moment? I remember turning to my mom in my most rock bottom stage in my life. This was back in 2010 when I was in hospital. And I remember turning to her and saying, why didn't you tell me this? Like, And she she looked at me so innocently and said, but I didn't know. And, you know, we've had beautiful discussions since then about it. And it's so powerful. And I love what you said about the God of your understanding, because I think a lot of people can get really hung up on the word God. You can call it universe, intuition, whatever it is. Have you encountered people kind of turning away from the course because of that dialogue? I think um, there's always a temptation to monitor other people's journey. But other people's journey are not, it's not our business. We all have a full-time career just trying to practice these things ourselves. And, you know, some people don't appreciate spiritual or religious language. They keep it very secular, but maybe they're practicing a profound love. Somebody else is using all the language and all the jargon, but not practicing it at the moment. So the language that people use, the opinions that we express is not what matters. The things we believe the Course says are not what matters. What matters is our experience, our experience of love, our experience of forgiveness. I love how the Course in Miracles says some people believe, no, some people conspire with God who do not yet believe in Him. I love that one. Mm. I absolutely agree with you. All we can really do is focus on are we living these principles? Are we practicing them every day? And this is in the past been challenging for me. I have a stepson and really allowing him to be on his own path and not interfere. So for parents out there, how can we navigate this? Because I know you've got a daughter, is that right? Yes, I have a 27-year-old daughter. Wow. So how has that evolved parenting for you? How has that evolved over the years? You know, the Course in Miracles says to teach is to demonstrate. And I always felt the best way I could teach spiritual principle to my daughter was would be to try to demonstrate it and to try to explain and articulate these principles in a situational basis. So, for instance, let's say she and her little friends would be talking about some kid at school that they didn't like. Well, I would say something like, wow, you know, I wonder what's happening at her house. And they say, what, you know, they'd ask me what I meant. I'd say, well, I don't know. Like, maybe her mommy's not been nice or daddy's not been nice. Or I don't know. You think maybe something's going on in her house that's not good? In other words, I would always just say things that would maybe try to expand their sense of compassion. I wouldn't say something like, no, we will discuss a spiritual principle. Or I might say something like my daughter, like, oh, I know what we need. We need a miracle. Let's pray for one. And so we'd pray for a miracle. And then something wonderful would happen. And I'd say, oh, oh my God, you've got a miracle. Then I'd say, well, let's thank God. Let's thank God. You know, things like that. I remember once when my daughter, she was around five, 
and I was at a conference with a bunch of my colleagues and she came running in. I was standing in a circle right, with some of the other speakers and my daughter comes running in, mommy, mommy, mommy. And she wants to come running up to me to tell me something. And I said, wait, stop right there. What are you supposed to do? She was so adorable. She looked around really sheepishly at all these people. I think Wayne Dyer was there, Deepak Chopra, James Redfield. She looked around at all of them and she went, acknowledge the humanity of other people. And I said, yes, honey. Yes. And everybody was so touched. And then I said, okay. And she said, hi to everybody. And I said, okay, come to mommy. What is it you wanted? In other words, I tried to teach my daughter that her being a good person mattered more than anything, that her being a kind person mattered more than anything. I think that we get so involved with teaching our kids the things that we think will make them, quote, unsuccessful as people. But I think the biggest success is that we know how to get along with other people and that other people like us. If you have that, there is no limit to what you can do in life. But I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how accomplished you are. I don't care what kind of resume or education you have. If other people don't like you because of personality issues that, that withhold love, then you're going to have a hard time in life. And I always told my daughter that more than anything, I wanted her to be a good person. Now, my daughter is a very accomplished woman. She's been to law school. She's getting her PhD. You know, she, I've certainly uh, emphasized professional achievement, and she is acting on that to her own credit, by the way. But she also is a good woman, and that is what I'm most proud of. Mm. Are they kind? You know, that is, yeah, kind to themselves, kind to others. It's so important. It's something that we talk to my stepson about a lot as well as just being a really kind person to themselves, to others, and to Mother Nature, to everything. So I love that you said that. Something you spoke about before was forgiveness and also being non judgmental. But could saying I need to forgive someone be a judgment? Like, because we're saying that that person did something wrong, which is a judgment. So how does that work? The Course in Miracles says that's the old-fashioned kind of forgiveness, which I had mentioned before. That's, that's the old notion of they're a jerk, but you're spiritual now, so you forgive. But the meaning of, of forgiveness as presented in books like The Course in Miracles is the idea that you extend your perception beyond what the physical senses perceive to what your heart knows to be true. So my physical senses heard you say something loveless. My physical senses saw you say something loveless. My physical senses heard you speak in an unkind manner. Forgiveness means knowing that only love is real, that your guilt or your mistakes are not who you are, either fear in one or both people, is building a wall between us of separation, or one or both of us is practicing a holy instant where we extend our perception beyond that wall and realize innocence. And in that moment, there is an illumination that comes upon the mind and everything changes. The other person feels it too because all minds are joined. There is just a moment of you can feel the hand of God Somebody says something and everything miraculously changes. Once again, the atonement is our capacity to realize what happened. And I've been in enough situations where I did have the presence of mind, as I'm sure you have, and we all have, where we had the presence of mind to know this is not real. Just take a moment, invite God's presence into the situation. 
that's always key. Just take a moment to think about God, to ask God to enter here, and the mind becomes illumined and the pattern of fear is interrupted. And that's what the miracle is. It's a divine intercession from a thought system beyond our own. I love that. I use my breath, but do you have any other tips on how we can not go into reaction mode? Well, first of all, if we've meditated that morning, the chances <laughs> of our getting anywhere close to that cliff is, are greatly reduced. Of course, the miracle says five minutes spent with the Holy Spirit in the morning is enough to guarantee he will be in charge of our thought forms throughout the day. You know, what's happening on the planet today Everybody's moving too fast. I remember when I was a child and my mother used to say, count to 10. Everything is happening so fast. All the electronic speed, we're all being assaulted by it. And it's putting all of us into a kind of reactive, chronically reactive pattern. And it's very, very dangerous because those moments when we make mistakes kind of come out of the, from out of the blue. And the miracles come from out of the blue too. And this is a, this is a really important issue right now because Everybody lacks impulse control. So finding our inner peace, finding our inner calm is so critically important to our ability to be able to respond rather than to react to the times in which we live. And how do you find your inner peace and inner calm? Is that through a regular meditation practice? Well, absolutely. As a student of A Course in Miracles, I do the workbook. And I also do transcendental meditation. And most importantly, I, I try to, to practice what I preach. But, you know, I'm not an enlightened master. I mean, I've spent quite a bit of time on this call describing the latest time I made a, mis a mistake. You know, I mean, it happens until such point as we are enlightened masters. Besides meditation, what else do you do? Like, do you have any tools that you use to really help yourself be mindful and slow down so you don't get caught up in that rush, rush, rush and that hustle and bustle? You know, we need to go deeper than just slowing down. You can be on a beach somewhere at a spa having a massage, but if you're still thinking unforgiving thoughts, you're not going to get to the peace of mind that we all want. So it's not just slowing down, it's moving into love. If you're thinking judgmental thoughts, you're attacking someone in your mind, you're defending, you're attacking, you're projecting blame, you're playing victim. And I don't care how much you slow down, you're still not going to be at peace. And I think that's a really important piece to all this. If you want to move into those deeper waters of transformation, then it's not about, you know, do we have tools? The, the real tool is a serious spiritual path. And that's the, the issue that I was speaking at before. Now, with The Course in Miracles, there's a workbook, there's the reading the book, there's the workbook, and the course is one of many serious spiritual paths. But there's, in my opinion, too much of an effort to make it easy these days. The five easy steps to enlightenment, it doesn't work that way. And slowing down is just, um, is just a beginning step. It is not the mountaintop of spiritual transformation. That's so true because I recently had a massage and I remember for the first half an hour, all I did was lay there and stress over something that I did a week before. And I thought, this isn't me, you know, it's not me being in love. So that's a really good point. So it's almost like no matter where you are in the world, what you're doing, whether you're in the Bahamas, whether you're on the massage table, whether you're at the spa, whether you're in Bali or Byron Bay, it doesn't matter if you have these judgmental thoughts. We have to come back to love, return back to love, 
And no matter where you are, whether you're in the bustling streets of New York City, you can still cultivate that inner peace. Exactly. Of course, the miracle says that miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. And when the mind closes down and does not allow love to flow forth, we deflect the miracle that would otherwise occur. The universe is both self-organizing and self-correcting. So as long as the mind is a conduit for love, the next best thing will unfold. If the mind is not a conduit for love, then the miracle that would otherwise have happened is deflected. But the Course in Miracles says it is held in trust for us until we are ready to receive it. And that's what the atonement that I mentioned before is. It's the idea that you realize that the miracle you could have had happen, a a relationship that works, peace between two people, could have happened. You blocked it from happening. Realize that you blocked it from happening. Atone for the mistake. Place it in the hands of God and know that the universe will circle back around again. Have you got an example of a recent miracle, maybe today or yesterday, that has come into your life? Every day of my life is a miracle. I woke up this morning and I have a career where I get to talk about what I think is important, write about what I think is important, participate and hopefully contribute to an unfolding of ideas of wisdom and love that I think are important. I get to live in a lovely apartment where I'm looking out at a beautiful view. Nobody was telling me what time I had to wake up this morning. I get to fill my day doing meaningful things. What aspect of what I just said is not miraculous? Totally. Totally. It's so beautiful. And sometimes we let those other things really block us from seeing that. So I'd love to hear now, what is one thing, and I know there's probably not just one, but what is something that is bringing you a lot of joy right now? There's nothing going on at the moment which has me in that wild, pleasurable ecstasy that life sometimes provides. But the bottom is joyful. I talked to my daughter several times today. We have a wonderful, rich relationship that brings me joy, but it's not, you know, rah, 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 rah joy. There's nothing. There was nothing particular. What did we talk about today? We talked about the paint color. You know, she's painting her living room, painting her bedroom. You know, this is not like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Same with uh, another relationship in my life. It's, 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 it's a deep joy, but not like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I think maybe that has to do with maturity. Which is not to say that I <laughs> I don't love those rah rah moments as well. Yeah, I'm looking beautiful. forward to a rah rah exciting moment on November sixth, two thousand eighteen, when we have midterm elections here in the United States. You might have heard that we have some problems over here. Is there something that you are mindful of or working on within yourself at the moment? My goal is to do my best to practice what I preach. There's a situation in my life where I have to make a decision, and the Course in Miracles says that you are to make no decisions for yourself. So I'm I'm trying to really dig deep into myself to allow the process to unfold so that I respond with wisdom. You know, in life, it's not really what happens to us. It's who we are in the space of what happens to us that matters. My 
a friend was telling me today she has a roommate and or it's a housemate. And the housemate used to date a woman that she really liked. Got it? So the housemate's a guy. My friend is a woman. And she used to really like her housemate's girlfriend. Well, he broke up with her and has a new girlfriend. So my friend doesn't like the new girlfriend. And because they share a house together, the new girlfriend is there a lot. Well, the ego mind makes it all about the new girlfriend. But we were talking about the fact that anything that happens in our lives, it's about us. So my friend has an opportunity to realize the gap between her and her enlightened self, because her enlightened self is totally accepting and loving of everyone. So there's something about this woman that rubs her the wrong way, but it's really not about the other woman. So I see that in my life with every situation. If I have a problem with anyone or anything, the problem is in me. So do I have situations? Yeah, I have one situation where, like in the the thing that I was talking about, that I have a decision to make. Well, if I go in one direction, then there is a risk. There, My heart seems to leap at it, at the thought of it, but there is a risk factor. So in life, sometimes you have to dig very deep to know, is this my fear talking or is this my love talking? Is this what, what part of me is, is swaying me here? And that's a process. It's not, you know, sometimes in life, it's very simple. You simply pray and the answer is clear. Sometimes it's as simple. People will say to me, how do I know whether it's the spirit talking or the ego? And sometimes it's very simple. You, you've heard the answer many times. You know what the answer is. You just don't like what the answer is. But sometimes it's, it's more difficult to discern. And then that's when you talk to other people and pray and dwell deeply in the question. There's a, there's a wonderful book by Roca called The Letters to a Young Poet. And he says, sometimes you don't have the easy answer, but you simply have to live the difficulty of the question. That goes back to the problem we have, everybody moving too fast. We're not dwelling in depth. We have formed a very superficial culture where most of the time, or at least a lot of the time, we are preoccupied with ultimately meaningless things. And that's, I think, what we need more than anything is a culture of wisdom, culture of wisdom that comes with a culture of depth. You know, our ancestors lived in nature, and being out in nature supports you in that. Being in urban environments, which I love, I'm an urban person, but, you know, too much moving too fast, all the electronics, and we are too easily pulled away from our center. Yeah. If you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides all of your books, let's pretend they're already in the school curriculum because I highly recommend that they be in the school curriculum. Is there one book that you would love high school students around the world to get their hands on? You know, I think that the book I just mentioned by Rilke, Letters to a Young Poet, is so filled with wisdom that would be a good one. Let us do a young poet. Now let's talk about how your day looks and in particular your morning routine. How does that look for you? I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day to set themselves up. I know meditation is a part of yours, but are there any other things that you do to really help you come back to your center? Meditation and prayer and reflection and time of quiet. I mean, everything else is just irrelevant, really. You know, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you take your time each day to ground yourself. You know, sometimes I'll hear young mothers say, I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to 
take those five or 10 minutes for myself. I have little children. That's all the more reason why you need to get up earlier or whatever. So whatever it looks like, it doesn't matter. You're sitting with a cup of tea. You're looking out at the flowers and just moving into your center. The form it takes is not what matters. For me, looking at the Course in Miracles, Transcendental Meditation, taking time, think about where I am. In the Course in Miracles, it says every day we should say to God, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? You know, the life of surrender to God to be used for God's purposes is very different than having your own goals and your own intentions, all that stuff that's so in vogue today. It's very different. Going out to make it happen is very different than going out asking only to be an instrument of God's love and allowing the miracles that would emerge from that to happen. But the way of, you know, I'm going to go out there and make it happen carries a kind of adrenaline, kind of the white sugar of personal transformation. The way of miracles is a more quiet happiness. You know, the Course in Miracles does say that the purpose of your life is to be happy. It says that the uh, the goal of the Course is the attainment of inner peace. And there's a level of inner peace, that sort of emotional golden mean, that is the deepest happiness of all. So beautiful. I love that. And I love what you said about, you know, busy mums who often say to you, I don't have time, because I hear it a lot as well. And I love that you mentioned that it can look different for everyone and it could be one minute or five minutes or one hour, whatever feels good for you. I want to really encourage everyone to just, you know, start with that one minute in the morning just to come back to their center, come back to the middle, come back to love, because your day will unfold so differently as opposed to getting up and being straight into reactive mode. So I love that you mentioned that. Well, if you wake up in the morning and you go directly to the computer or to the phone or to the television or radio, you're downloading the the fear-based consciousness of the world. You know, you you wake up in the morning, you take a shower, you take a bath, you brush your teeth because you don't want yesterday's dirt to travel with you into the day. But if you wash your body, but you don't purify your thinking, then you're still going to take all the stress of the world. And I don't know why we have to baby each other either and coddle each other. If it's only one minute, why, why, why are we saying that to each other? Why are we treating, are we grown women or are we children? And I don't know why in the personal transformational movement, we talk to each other like we're little weak children. We're not weak children. And we don't have to say, if it's even only a minute, I don't agree with that, actually. It's going to take more than a minute in the shower. It's going to take more than a minute in the bath. And I I think we can be more honest with ourselves and with each other. I mean, I certainly agree with you. You know, even if it's only a minute that you could just think, you know, I love how in the Course in Miracles it says, even if you if you can't get yourself to do the exercise, even just look at it. So I certainly agree with you. And we need to move beyond this. I don't know where that comes from in the personal transformation movement. That somehow we talk to each other like we're weaklings. We this is a very serious time on the planet. And I think being more honest with ourselves and with each other particularly women, that we're going to, this is not, personal transformation is not always easy. It takes some deep work. It takes some deep slogging. And on a certain level, if you're not willing to spend at least five minutes, then why are you kidding yourself that you're going to be able to transform your life? Very, very good point. 
as you were talking, I was reflecting on why did I say that? And I guess the reason I said it was to make other people feel okay about themselves. That's right. But that, thank you for saying that. But let's look at that right there. That's a really important issue for women who are doing this kind of work. The job of the priestess is not to, in any given moment, make people feel better about themselves. The person whose goal is to just make you feel better about yourself is just a people pleaser. Yeah, that's true. The radical truth teller is kind. I'm not worried, Melissa, that you're not going to be kind in the way you deliver information. But the new priestesshood should not be just about telling people, just making people feel better about themselves because too often that's coddling in each other, learned patterns of powerlessness. Because the truth is, like, I spend two hours in the morning for myself. Thank you. (laughs) Tell it. Exactly. Thank you. Sometimes longer. Like, I literally spend hours in the morning. I've been up since 4.30. (laughs) Thank you. So why should you assume that your audience can't hear that? If they can't hear that, then they're not about the deeper work. So what's going to happen is the people who are not about the deeper work might like your show. People who are about the deeper work say, eh, she's not talking about the deeper things. Hello. And so for uh, what I was saying is that for each one person who, you know, you're, you're going to retain them, you're going to lose five people who want to have a deeper conversation. It's so true. Thank you for mentioning that. Because yeah, the truth is I've been up since 4.30 and I've already spent the first three hours of this day on myself in meditation, it, you know, doing all of that. And, and yeah, it's so thank you. Thank you for bringing that to light. I would love to hear now What are three things that you're most recently grateful for in your life? I have been going through, uh, I mentioned before, I have a big decision to make. And I have friends, uh, close friends and colleagues who have joined with me in the seriousness of the conversation in ways that are so deep and so supportive. And I'm very aware that it is a great blessing and that I must have done something in life, you know, right in my life that I do have friends who join with me um, that way. So that I've been very proactively and consciously grateful for. I'm always grateful for wonderful things happening with my daughter. I never take that for granted. And I, I'm grateful, you know, I've had um, my sister-in-law died recently. I have a, another friend who died recently i'm i'm at an age where i don't take my health for granted and i'm grateful for that i'm i'm grateful i i travel a lot i'm just i'm i'm grateful that i'm able to do what i do i'm just i'm just grateful for my life speaking of health what is one of the most important things that we could do today for our health just one thing that people could start to implement You're so cute with that. Tell me the one thing. (laughs) Okay, so this is the deal. A spiritual perspective on the body, as articulated in a book like The Course in Miracles, is very different than the thinking of the world. And that is the idea that the body is just a suit of clothes. Enlightenment, The Course in Miracles says, is a shift in self-perception from body identification to spirit identification. And when you realize that you're a spirit and not a body, then you don't identify with the body The Course in Miracles says an over-identification with the body puts a stress on the body that the body is not meant to carry, and that's where sickness comes from. 
An over-identification with all of our material circumstances ties us to the material world in a world that actually stresses the body and makes sickness more probable. So, for instance, people say to me, wow, you're on planes all the time, you're traveling all the time, how do you do that? And I think the most health-producing thing I do is that I, in my mind, have given my body to God to use for his purposes, and I ask only that it support me in doing that. This lifts your consciousness to a place above the body. And when your consciousness is above the body, the body has a greater opportunity to maintain its health and to correct itself when sickness or disease has taken hold. The Course in Miracles says the body heals when we're not looking at it. The body is just a level of effect. The mind is the level of cause. So from a Course in Miracles perspective, the most healthy thing you can do for your body is to change your sense of its purpose. And when you see the purpose, not as an the, see your body not as an end, but as a means to an end, and you are asking that it be used for God's purposes, God of your understanding, God use my hands, God use my feet, then it, it is the healthiest perspective you can have on the body and itself is a kind of medicine. So beautiful. Okay, I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, in your opinion, what is one thing we can do for more wealth, more abundance in all areas of our life? The Course in Miracles says that you think you have many different problems, but you really only have one, and that is your separation from God. And money is just one more example where this is true. I wrote a book called The Law of Divine Compensation. So give your money, give your work, give your job to God, ask God use to use it for his purposes, just like you say about the body, dear God, use my body for your purposes. Once again, language is not what matters, the idea of a higher power. And this delivers the level of finance into the realm of infinite abundance, because God or infinite love is the realm of infinite abundance. So anything given to love's purposes is delivered to the realm of infinite abundance. Beautiful. And what about one thing we can do for more love, more love in all areas? How can we express more love, be more love in the world? The Course in Miracles says, this course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love, for that is beyond what can be taught, but it aims at removing the barriers to the awareness of love's presence. I think that the most important thing we can do is to identify in ourselves the places in our personality where we either withhold love or deflect love, where we get reactive, where we get negative, where we get judgmental, where we get snarky, where we get angry, where we get moody, where we don't take responsibility for our effects, where we get unkind, where we get insensitive. You know, everybody's so concentrated these days on attracting the kind of person we want. And perhaps there's not enough attention paid to being the kind of people we want to be. Because if I'm not the woman that I want to be, why would the man that I want want to be with me? You know, in love, in work, in almost every situation, if we're honest with ourselves, the problem was not that we didn't need anyone. The problem was not that we didn't have the opportunity. The problem is how often we blew those opportunities when they came around. So if we take an honest look at ourselves, I think that's, that's really illuminating not 
how do I attract love? But what are the ways in which I sabotaged it in the times that I had a chance? That's what has been the most important thing for me. Yeah, so beautiful. And I've got one more question for you. How can I personally and the listeners serve you today? How can we serve you? That is such a sweet thing to say. You already have, Melissa. I'm very grateful. I'm honored to have been on your podcast. And um, I feel the sisterhood, as we would say. Um, I, I think what's important is that hopefully together we serve something higher than either one of us. Uh, I feel you showed up for that. I know in my heart I showed up for that. And hopefully something that one of us said, something about the conversation that we had, has provided some moment of aha that will mean something to someone. And I think, you know, someone once said to me, virtue is its own reward. I, I hope that you feel served as I do by the fact that we both showed up. We both tried our best. We rose to the occasion to the best of our ability. And hopefully that will be of service to someone else. And the chain goes on. That's just the way life works when human beings open our hearts and do our best. Mm, exactly. Well, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your wisdom and for doing your best and for showing up with love. It's been such an honor to speak with you and to have this conversation. And we'll link to everything that you're up to in the show notes so that everyone can check out your books and your Tuesday night talks and everything that you're doing in the world. But I just wanted to thank you again and acknowledge you for everything that you're doing and all of the love that you are helping shine on the world. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Melissa. God bless you. Well, obviously, the biggest takeaway for me from this episode is to not people please, I guess, not try and sugarcoat things, making other people feel better about themselves when the truth is that, you know, I personally spend hours working on myself every day because I want to, because I love to, not because I feel like I should. So, you know, that was a really big takeaway from me. And I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 75. And you can also check out all my other podcasts there too. Also, just a reminder that you can now order my second book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love rocking relationships, and soulful sex. All you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy today. And once you've read it, please share with me your key takeaways on Instagram. I absolutely love hearing what you guys got out of it. So thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself possible, and for showing up today for you. You rock. 
Now, if there is someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Do whatever you've got to do to get this episode into their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.